Welcome back to our podcast, From the Third Floor. I'm Gerald O'Sullivan. And I'm Orla O'Brien. Today we are joined by Independent TD for Kerry South, Deputy Michael Healy Ray. More and more often, young people have become disillusioned with politics in Ireland. We often don't actually understand what politics is, what can be achieved or why we should even care. So we're hoping that today's conversation with Michael might shed some light on these questions and might motivate our listeners to become a bit more active in the political process in Ireland. So firstly, we're delighted to have you here, Deputy, and we'd like to start off by asking you, did you always want to go into politics? Like when you were our age in school, did you know that's something you wanted to pursue? Well, I suppose me and politics actually started younger than your age now in that when I was in the national school. Oh, okay. My father was a county councillor and he was good at organising elections. I know this is an odd thing to say, but when a national politician would have died around the country, I used to be delighted. Oh, right. Because what it meant for me was that my father would be going away fighting that by-election because when a TD dies, like if I died tomorrow morning, there'd have to be an election in Kerry, yes. just for to replace that person. Okay. If a councillor dies, the person can be replaced without an election. But when a TD dies, there has to be an election. And it's called a by-election. And my father was good at organising by-elections. So what it used to mean for me when I hear a person was dead, a respectful time after the death, we'd all head to that constituency. I was only like, you know, 19, 11. My job used to be putting up posters, give you out leaflets, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I'd been three weeks off of school, away around the country somewhere, fighting an election. And I got a great interest in politics at that. I got to meet an awful lot of people. Speed dial on then a number of years later when my, my father was running for elections. I was his director of elections at every election, all his national elections. That's a very interesting job in that it is very demanding. You're working with great people. You're working with people who are interested in, you know, getting their candidate. And our candidate was my father at that time. And uh, subsequently then when he retired, I was selected as the person to replace him and to run. And I did. And that's how I got going. So the main thing I want to get through in this interview, if we can, is that I want young people to realise and to understand every one of you that anybody can be a politician. Now, the one mm-hmm. thing that I always say, if you want to be a politician, you have to start locally. And when okay. I say start locally, I mean in your, literally your own parish, your own community, your own street, your own road, your own townland, right? And it would be coming involved in that area, being interested in other people. You have mm-hmm. to be very interested in other people in their problems, their good times, their bad times, their okay. sad times, their happy times. And like... If you're involved like that, it's a natural uh, expansion of that then to run for, we'll say, the local authority. And, like, I have great respect for people who are in, in the councils. And, like, whether the parties they're in doesn't matter to me or who they are or whether they're independent or Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or Sinn Féin. The only thing I want in people and the only requirement I like is that they're workers. Like, if I see a useless politician... I'll call them out on it and I'll say, God, that person isn't working. And I, it wouldn't matter what party they were in. Yeah. It isn't that I'd be, and I'd never be critical of a person because of, like, fine, I'd have problems with policy. 
like there's certain policies that I wouldn't okay, support yeah. and things. But like I don't do the individual stuff. Like if I if I saw here in Khmer, if I saw a local politician or something or a national politician saying something good and something that I believed in, I'd say, God, that's great. I support that person. Like so I don't do this all negative rubbish because I don't have time for it. Life is too short. Okay. And so you would recommend politics? I would, but it it doesn't suit everybody. Like it is all consuming, do you know? Like we'll say when when I was young and started out and like when we had a family and things, like I'd be honest and I don't tell lies, right? And I'm yeah. I, I'm critical of myself. Like I wouldn't have been what you'd call a normal father in that mm-hmm. like when there was things on, I wasn't there. An awful lot of the time I wasn't there. And in particular you see I was my father's, when he got elected then I was his constituency secretary. So my job was, I had got elected to the council then as well at that stage. So I was a politician in my own right. But I also was very conscious of that. I had his back to mind, if you know what I mean. And he was away in Dublin an awful lot. And like whether it was attending public meetings, whether it was doing his clinics, going to me to going to funerals representing him and saying my father Jackie Healy Ray can't be here I'm apologizing for him I used to be awful serious about that job and I combed the constituency east north south west mid Kerry I combed it left right and I do that to this day for myself now but uh, but like that doesn't suit everybody you know so you'd say it's a bit of a, it is a toll or a chore sometimes well no, no obviously I wouldn't because I like it Right? Okay. And yes. I enjoy it. So to me, it's not like work at all, do you know? And like the, the man that's, or the lady that's out today getting wet outside in the cold, maybe doing a job, do you know, isn't their job tough and difficult? So I'd never come along and say, oh, I don't know, like it's an awful hard life or something like that. I'd never go saying that. Like, yes, it involves a lot of travel. It involves a lot, a lot of hours. I, I sleep very, very little, right? But I, I never did. So it does, I don't miss anything like that. And I enjoy other people. Just like you know today. I enjoy coming in here and meeting you and seeing what you're about, hearing what you have to say. And I genuinely do. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it's not, oh, God, I must go into public school today. Like, and that's a pain in the ass. Like, it's not. It's the exact opposite, do you know? So, and, and to like knowing who you are and things and hearing, you know, I enjoy all that sort of thing. And of if course. we do, people realize that and they start to think, he's happy about what he's doing, do you know? And I just like to see other young people get interested. And one thing I always warn people about, don't ever think, oh, well, nobody belonged to me was ever in politics. So so I can't ever get into that. Do you know? That's like a person saying, do you know, well, no one in my family was a Kerry footballer or a famous athlete, so I can't be it either. Or no one in my house was a musician, so I can't be a musician. Sure, every person can have their own talents. And like someone mm-hmm. who could get awfully interested in politics and no one ever before or after it might be interested in politics. But you could be. And why not pursue what you want then? Don't okay. ever think there's a barrier, which that's the same as everything in life. Yeah. And always remember you can do as much or as little with your life as you want. And, and what kind of person would you say is best suited to the job then? Somebody that I, the really to me is somebody who's interested in other people. Because politics to me is people. And uh, like when I go to Dublin, I represent people, not parties, not other people's policies. It's what the people on the ground want, what I see they need, what they require. And speaking up for people. And that to me is a big, big thing, you know? Yeah, okay. Okay. 
As you know, a lot of students in public school will be turning 18 this year or next year, and they'll be eligible to vote. What would you say to those people that are considering who to vote for? Would you uh, want to, my, you? Ad- my advice to them would be, look around you. See who you think is representing your parents, your grandparents, your aunties, your uncles, and then yourselves. Who you think would be an energetic person, who would be a person that would listen to you, take on board your viewpoint, mm-hmm. your, your outlook on life, and would be best for you. And the one thing I'd really ask people to do, uh, people who would be turning 18 for the f- first time, in the nicest possible way, who they're going to vote for is nobody's business, all of their own. But I really would ask them to go out and vote and be opinionated. And and then afterwards they could say, well, don't I voted for that person? And do you know, that person was actually no good. But, yeah. but I voted for him anyway, but I won't vote for him again. Okay. Or they could say, well, you know, I'm glad I voted for that person because that person is doing their best for me. Now, one thing about, about life is that it isn't that the person represents you is going to be right all the time by you. Like, we'll say, I might have certain views on certain things. We'll say, just take, for instance, the three V in the room. He mightn't agree with some things that he might have heard me saying in the past. And okay. then again, he might agree with a lot of what I'd say. But you have to balance it out and you have to think, well, do I mostly like him or her? Or do I mostly not like him or her? Do you know, mm-hmm. but like it's not as though you're going to be right all the time by everybody. And one thing that I don't like in politics is what I'd call yes men and yes women. In other words, that no matter what you would ask them, that they'd agree with you because they'd be afraid of insult you or offend you. Like if he asked me enough questions, I know in my heart and soul there would be certain things that I'd answer it and that he'd be thinking, hmm, I don't like that now. Do you know? Yeah. But like even if I knew he wouldn't like it, I'd still tell it to you. Because I don't do this thing of saying what people want you to hear. I tell it as it is and let people make up their own minds then afterwards. Yeah, I suppose you kind of have to be like that. Well, you have to be diplomatic and you have to be um, broad-minded and open about things. Like I'll give you an example, a very contentious thing. A couple of years ago we had a divorce, um, sorry, an abortion referendum in Ireland. And you had people who were for abortion and mm-hmm. make it more easily and freely available. And you had people who were conservative and who weren't for it, right? Yes. And like, straight up, I'd be what I'd call conservative. And like, my attitude was, yes, of course, there is there is sad medical events that happen to a woman like, and that, that, you know, that she might have to avail of the services of an abortion. And I respect that very mm-hmm. much. But my attitude was that, you know, when a baby is there, that the baby has the same right as all of us have to be born and to be and like yes that parent mightn't be able to keep that baby and well and good that baby can be given up isn't there so so many couples that would love to have a baby and don't have the baby and they'd like to get that baby you know and like that a lot of people mightn't have agreed with what I said right but what my attitude about it was though I wasn't telling anybody oh I'm right and you're all wrong my attitude was this is my opinion this is the way I feel about it. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling anyone else they're wrong. And like I didn't go out canvassing and saying to people, oh, you should do this and you should, because I'm right. It wasn't that way. I was just saying, this is my view. Okay. There was a vote taken, a referendum, and the other side won. And abortion came in. My attitude about that was, that's democracy. Yeah. And, and I was on what we call the losing side of that argument. I was genuinely disappointed. I was genuinely upset. There was things I, I proposed afterwards then to do with pain relief and all that for the baby being aborted and all that. I lost those votes in the doll. 
but like to me I was speaking up for a person who couldn't speak up for themselves now I know in my heart and soul people disagreed with me people who canvass with me who work with me they didn't like what I was saying they would have rathered if I was for abortion but they still their attitude was they're still with me they're still backing me they're still helping me in elections and voting for me and it was just one of those things that we agreed to disagree on so that's life that's that's why we're living in a country where we're not shooting each other we're talking about things yeah i suppose everyone is entitled to their own opinion 100 percent 100 percent moving to current affairs if we look at the news headlines at the moment it seems that housing is one of the major issues yes. facing the country yes um a lot of our students will be hoping to go to college and they might be looking to go to college in dublin limerick and cork but in dublin specifically it's very expensive and hard to get housing it is what do you think you'd say to them people that are looking for housing or maybe they're trying to move or buy their own house and they might be able to buy a house in the future okay your first question first what he really hit us in places like dublin cork galway limerick was a very stupid decision. And I'll tell you out straight, taken by stupid politicians at okay. the time. And I'll tell you what it was. It was to do away with a thing called bed sits, right? right? A bed sit was literally a room in a house where you would have your room. It was it was affordable. A pile of people were doing it because we'll say you could have a, a, a mom and dad in Dublin. They could have had a family. The family could be gone away. They had two or three rooms spare in the house. So they were renting out those rooms. Yes, maybe they weren't on suite and maybe you had to share a bathroom. But to be honest with you, so what? If you had that room at an affordable rate, I had a sister that left here. She left this school. She went to Dublin. She got mm-hmm. a job in the civil service. She lived in a bedsit for eight years. There was four people sharing the bathroom that she was using, right? So literally, if you hit it at the wrong time in the morning, you could be in a queue of four waiting to use the room. She stayed there eight years. It was affordable. She saved money. And then she was able to go away and get a loan and a mortgage and get going herself. Her rent wasn't extortionate or outrageous. It was affordable. But then these geniuses of politicians came along and said, oh, this is so wrong. You shouldn't be sharing a bathroom. You shouldn't, you know, living in, in a room where your kitchen was over there and your bed was here. Oh, that's outrageous. You should have a kitchen. You should have this. You should have that. These are young people starting out mm-hmm. and going to college are starting a new job like my sister was. Like, their politicians were wrong. What did they do then? They really hurt every person who was looking for accommodation because all of a sudden it made all of those places illegal. Remember all those people who were getting a bit of income every week? That income was gone from them. Mm -hmm. And it made it more expensive on the students. So it was a stupid decision taken by stupid politicians that hurt all the students at that time. Now they're realising they're wrong. This is about 10 or 15 years later. And they're realising now that all oh, well bedsits are all right now again. So they were wrong there for 10 or 15 years. But look at the harm it did to the market. Do you know? And it put an awful lot of people who are providing accommodation out. Now they're even saying to people who have local authority houses, you can be a renter. Remember now a council house now today. And you can rent out rooms. Okay. So that, that'll tell you. It, the proof of the pudding is they're changing now and doing a massive U-turn. That'll tell you how wrong they were in making the decision they made those years ago. So... That's one of the problems that we have. So hopefully that will start getting rectified because more people can provide accommodation. Remember, the more of anything you have, the, mm-hmm. the more bananas you have to sell, the cheaper it will make the price of a banana. If it's very rare yeah. to get a banana, it's going to be an expensive, bloody thing. Yeah. Housing was gone so scarce and then we had no building going on. 
right? Because building anything has gone so expensive. This building has gone extraordinarily expensive. And one thing that doesn't make sense anymore, for example, is to buy a property and rent it out. Because number one, the biggest elephant in the room is you're paying 56% tax. Mm -hmm. So if you get a thousand euros in income, in rent, you're giving 560 to the government. That's stupid. If the government said, yeah. right, we'll charge tax at 15 or 20%, all of a sudden people could bring down the rents because you wouldn't have to be bringing in as much. You could actually bring in less and have more if they reduce the tax take. Like the government will give you out about the housing. Should they're making the most out of it because yeah. they're getting 56% in tax. They don't ever go tell you that. No. But how, say now you say that that's an issue that they're charging 56% yes. tax. How would you or a politician oh, go about? I proposed it to them and, and I've been proposing it for years, but eventually now it's catching on. And they say that, in, like I had a meeting with the two ministers for um, finance uh, last week, and they are definitely bringing in something in the budget that okay. will reduce that. There might be a, an allowance, maybe like, you know, the same as the renter room scheme. You might be able to earn 14,000 or something tax free. And they might reduce the actual okay. rate itself. If they do something like that, it'll be most welcome. And coming back to what I said to earlier on, if I see politicians doing the right thing, I'll be the first person thanking yes. them. And I'll be saying, yes, you finally listen to me and people like me. But after a lot of knocking on the door, you know? Okay. So there is progress being made. There is the progress being made, yes. It'll but, take time. I but think. one thing then that you have to know then too, because this is crazy. You hear, for example, and I'm going to name people who are doing it now, because I can do so, because I don't okay. There are people in Sinn Féin, in the Democratic Left, in Fine Gael, in Labour, who have been shouting an awful lot about housing. Okay. And if you look at the individuals themselves, what have they been doing in their own constituencies? Objecting to housing. I'll give you examples. There's one person in the Green Party. She's not in politics long. She's objected to 5,000 houses in her own constituency. Right. We have the Sinn Féin spokesperson on housing has objected to thousands of homes being built in his own in his own constituency. Now that doesn't make sense. That'd be like me coming in here today and saying to you, oh well we need more houses in Kerryuna. And at the same time then if he checked my record that he'd see, God he's objecting to houses in Kerry. And like this is what this is what these people are doing. So they're standing up inside the doll and they're shouting and shouting, we should have more housing, we should have more housing. And when a person comes along and like We've had, I have a TD that objected to 755 student accommodation units being built in his constituency oh, yeah. because he made out they were too small. I mean, get this in, 755 students' accommodations and he objected to them and took them to Borpinala, which in turn, then, if they do get granted eventually, it makes them more expensive mm -hmm. because the time has moved on. It'll cost more money to build them. If it costs more money to build them, they'll have to charge more rent. So these people, they're not part of the solution. They're actually part of the problem. You try to hold these people accountable. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So they're saying one thing. They're saying one thing and doing another thing. Yeah. I mean, get a, if you want bloody housing, you have to support people who are building housing. And yes, we need a mix. We need public. We need private. Mm -hmm. We need a mixture of housing. Like what those, if you had one of those TDs now sitting down here, the, and if you said, why did you object to 3,000 houses in your constituency? Do you know the answer they'd give you? Oh, well, now you know. They were for rich property developers who wanted to build houses, sell them and make money, right? Your answer to that would be, would you get real, you donkey, right? Because if a person gets planning for, do you know, we'll just say 100 houses, mm -hmm. that person has to give over an element of that for social and affordable housing. Yes. And plus then, 
if the houses are out there at the market and if there's more of them you will have young couples who will be able to get a mortgage and who will be able to buy one of those houses and what's wrong with that do you know mm-hmm. like they have this socialist to the left idea that oh everything should be public and everything should be for free well that's not living in the real world but an awful lot of those TVs they're very lucky to be TVs because if they were at home they'd have nothing in the world to do because nobody'd have them because they're, they're actually unemployable because they're living yeah. between their two years all airspace how you'd wonder how they get away with objecting to all that oh I know so. it's, it's ridiculous and, and people in labour then objecting to thousands of houses I mean, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like There's the no overnight care. When I question the T-shirt lately, as in the last couple of weeks, on the record of the doll, and I, I, I called this out for what it was, okay. and, and in his answer, in fairness to him, he said, oh, I agree with you. It's very difficult to understand. And for instance, myself, he said, it's seven years, he said, since I objected to housing. But like, so right away, he admitted himself that he was an objector as well. Like, it's awful for somebody. And yes, the law dictates that there is a right for people to object. And that's fair enough. If you're building something, and I'm living alongside you, and if I think your building is going to adversely affect me, well, it's okay and it's fair enough for me to object to that or to put in an observation and say, well, he's putting windows, look in and me, you know, I'd rather if he didn't. Like, that's fine. But like, these people are just objecting to thousands and thousands of houses for no reason. Okay. This is it's a wonder how they'd be yeah. getting away with such objections exactly. and what their justification exactly. is. Um, it's no secret that you're a very busy man. Would yes. you mind telling our listeners what a typical week looks like for you? Oh, well, I suppose, like, and don't get me wrong now when I tell you this, it's not looking for the sympathy card or anything, I'm because I'm not looking for anything from anybody because I like what I do. Yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, I don't work at all. Right, because I enjoy every bit of what I do. But like how I manage is, I start very early in the day, and like my day starts, we'll say any time. It could be half five, six o'clock would be the latest, right? And my day stops at like it could be twelve or one o'clock at night. And like you know, I do on average between ten and twelve thousand kilometers every four weeks, which is we'll call it what's that about 3,000 maybe 3,000 or a bit less kilometers every seven days mm-hmm. do you know yeah. so like I do a lot of driving I cover a lot of ground I do an awful I do more clinics than anybody else in Kerry I, I attend more meetings more public meetings uh, more functions I'd honestly say than any other politician in Kerry and probably than any other politician in Ireland but I like it and um, and on top of that then uh, because some people criticise me for it but but like I do the opposite and say like I think it makes for a better rounded politician. Definitely. I do, I don't just do politics, you know. I'm I I have planned tire, so I'm creating employment to that, and I'm working at jobs and like I did an awful lot of work on the Macroom bypass, you know, and and did an awful lot of work there for years and mm-hmm. you know all that sort of thing and on wind farms and with farmers and making roads and uh, in sites and developing yeah. houses and all that, and then. Um, I have a shop and that creates employment and uh, you know I, I have property that I rent out which I think is good because it gives me a great understanding of you know what it is to buy places and, yeah. make, make them right and then rent them out 
you know, I do long and short, I have a guest house and all these different sort of things. But what it means then is, and farming and, you know, like it goes on and on and on. But it's just, it leads for a busy life. But that makes it interesting. You see, you always remember one thing, and I remind the three of yourselves about this, right? Because it's very important. If we start off at zero, and we'll say that you're lucky and we live to be 100. Okay. But it's still only 100 years. Mm-hmm. That's an awful chocolate to time, right? 10 years, we go like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And like, you're going to die then, and we're going to be gone. So why would we want to waste time? You mm-hmm. should use every minute of every day. And like, it, I don't mean drudgery like, and that is, uh, you know, you can have great crack as well when you're at it. Yes. You know? I know. Like it it's needn't important. be boring and, you know? As well, you said there, you have obviously a couple of different businesses, so you might consider yourself an entrepreneur. Well, I, I don't ever like that word. What I'd say is I just do lots of different things. How did you get started with business? You hard work? Very, 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 very young. You know, mm-hmm. and like everything I did, I started young. I did, I, I, I did up my first house when I was 19. I bought the shop when I was 21. But it was easier that time, believe it or not, to borrow money. Like, yeah. I didn't have money. Nobody ever gave me money. Okay. Right? I borrowed it. And like, I always name one man because, I, and I actually met him. I met him, the day, was it yesterday? I met him at a funeral and I shook hands with him and I, I, I asked him how he was doing because he meant so much to me. And what he was, was a bank manager. He's an old man now, he's retired. His name was Dennis Cronin. Okay. But I went into him, I was, I was, I was actually younger at that time. I'd say I was 17 or 18. And I went into him and I told him I wanted 10,000 pounds. Yeah. And he said, for what? And I said, to buy a digger. And he said, well, have we gotten tour or something? I said, I have nothing. I said, like, I wouldn't go to my mother or father. If I couldn't do it myself, I wasn't going to do it. Okay. So he said, how much was the digger costing? And I said, it was 14,000. And he said, have we any money yourself? I said, I have four. And I had 4,000 saved. Okay. Just through scratching and scraping and saving. Okay. And I said, but if you'll give me 10, I said, I'll make a go of it. He gave me 10 and I thanked him very much. I had got all dressed up to go into him okay. and I had started to straighten myself up and I started to put up my information yeah. for And four months later, I went back into him and I said, would you give me another team to buy another machine? Okay. And he said, so things are going good. And I said, I'm very busy. I said, I, one machine isn't enough. I'll have to get another one. And like I was very young that time. And um, so, but so. You could chance, I suppose. Yes. He did. And you paid him back. Obviously. And I paid him back. And yeah. I kept borrowing from him then. And to this day, I still borrow money. Because I couldn't do half the things, like every year I borrow money for different things. And like anybody that's doing lots of things, you know, it's just a bit of education for you. You might say, well, how did that person afford that? Or how did, you must always think, nine times out of ten, what they're doing is like what I do. I just right. borrow and move on again, you know. Yeah. And over the years, they don't pay things off. Touch wood. Okay. <laughs> it can be scary times, like, don't think now that it's all sunshine and light, like. And they're about... Do you know, you remember the crisis there, you know, when everything went wrong. And believe me, everybody, you know, was, there, was, there was a share of sleepless nights all right that time, you know. And uh, when you think we're going to lose everything we had and all that sort of thing. And, you know, so. but it worked out, thankfully. It worked out, it worked yeah. out. So last year, Norma Foley, yes. the Minister for Education, visited our school. Yes. At the time, changes were proposed to the Leaving Cert. The Leaving yes. Cert exams were described as not fit for purpose. Yes. What does that mean? And do you think that they should change the current system? Yes. Well, the one thing that always bothered me about things, and I have to, again, be brutally honest and make a confession to you. I went to the vocational school here in Khmer. Okay. I did my 
I did my group set, I did my intercept, but I never did my leaving set. The okay. year I should have been doing my leaving set, I went to agricultural college and I, I got what's called the National Certificate in Agriculture, the Green Cert. Okay. But, but my worry about the leaving cert and the way it was structured at that time was that you studied and studied and studied and you sat down over a couple of days and did an exam. And God, what about if it were, what about if things were going bad with you that time? What about if physically, if you were sick, if you weren't feeling well? What about in your head, if your head was upset? What about if somebody had died belonging to you, an auntie, an uncle, a mother, a father, a brother, a sister, or somebody you were close to, and you were a bit upset, and you were sitting down all of a sudden, and every bit of your work had to be reflected yeah. in those days, you know, of yeah. doing those exams. And like anybody in life can have a couple of bad days. Mm -hmm. So I was very worried always about that, that should it not be a, a sort of a time-based reflection on your achievements. I okay. agree. Do you I know? Agree, yeah. And that like you'll be scored along the line. We'll say every quarter of every year, do you know? And and that it would be a culmination of your abilities, do you know? Of course. And is the, there is talk at the moment about leaving cert reform yes, through the Minister for Education. There is, but... but like because nothing ever stays the same like we were talking about I don't know my late mother always said to me she said the only thing we're sure of that will be definite is that and think of the contradiction of this the only thing that's definite is that nothing stays the same mm -hmm. do you know like the two of you today like what you are right now how you feel how you're getting on the people that are around you the people you were friends with today yeah. the family that are around you just remember one thing every bit of that is going to change mm -hmm. everything the people that are in your phone, yes. the numbers that are ringing continuously, they're going to change. Because of one reason or another, some of them might be there forever. They might be there longer than you. But always remember that everything changes. One of the most sobering things I was ever ta taught in my life, and just yes. think about this for a minute, there will come a time in life right. when a person is going to die. Yes. And that person will be the last person in the world that ever knew you. Do you get it? In other words, you yourself will be dead. Yeah. And all of the people that had known you and that had met you and knew you, they'll all eventually, eventually die. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, the last person is going to go that ever oh, knew yes. you, ever oh. saw you, ever met you, ever knew anything about you, and they're going to go too. And then all of a sudden, your history. So, the point is things change. So if life changes that much, surely be to God we can change the way we do exams. Okay. So there is there is change coming though. for that. Yes. Going back to the current headline, you were speaking recently on the tonight show about there's a, a new law being proposed about being able to drive at age sixteen. Yes. Um driving cars. Yes. As you said, yes. you can drive work vehicles yes. at the moment. You're, at at the 16. moment, yes. So is that law, it's being discussed at the moment? Yes, I'm very interested in it and I'll tell you why. I trust young people and I trust anybody until they do something to break that trust, right? Okay. So my attitude is, is, what's wrong with a young boy or girl of 16 sitting behind the wheel? If you can drive a tractor, why shouldn't you be able to drive a car on the roads? And like we had an advantage then in a lot of the young people today. Like I bought my first car when I was 11. KTI 437. I bought it after John Lyon, oh, uh, nice. Louise Lyon's dad, yeah. uh, there near the church in Tilly mm -hmm. 45 pounds. And uh, I used to drive it. And uh, or, like, not on the main roads, but I used to drive it everywhere else. Okay. 
okay. and put a plate and it got me used to drive. I hit ditches with it and broke lights and this and things like that. And, right. Yeah, and there was nothing in the world wrong with that. My daughter had her own first car which she bought herself at 12 and she was be driving it. Do you know? That's very impressive. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and like, old bangers like, but they'd start and would sit into them and drive away. And like, God Almighty, to me, I think it's, I think it's crazy that young people aren't allowed to drive on the main roads in a car at 12. I actually think it's cuckoo. Would you say those kind of down to maturity though? But look, day, you so. see, if you treat people, like if you treat a person like they're stupid or something, then right? They're going to act stupid. Sure, they're going to act stupid. Yeah. But if you treat people as though they're mature and give them responsibility and be nice to them and give them opportunities and don't be wrapping them up in cotton wool. And my goodness gracious me, I don't ever want to say anything that would result in a young person getting hurt or, or God almighty, mm-hmm. being killed on the roads or something. Sure, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be horrified like. But but I think, and the idea of restricting them then and that yes, there'd be, there'd be different rules for them. Well, I'm good, you know. And I don't care if we have a sign up in the car saying 16L or something like that. No problem in the world, you know. And and that people would be saying, oh, I must watch this person now. And if they're misbehaving, you know, you know and the guards would be keeping an eye out and watch the speed of that person. Mm-hmm. And would give them a chance. All right. So yeah. you'd support it. Yeah. And how would that law come about being brought into oh, the country? Oh, it's, it's laws. Look, we make laws every day of the week. That's what a TD is, a legislator, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's a process for that. It goes before the Dáil, it goes before the Shannon, and uh, eventually is signed into law. So it can happen. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> before we finish, we'd like to talk to you about a topic that is very prominent in schools all, of all nature and life in general is bullying. Yes. Um, when you were in school yourself, you suffered from dyslexia. Yes. So that would have been challenging. Yeah. And your parents also s- separated at a young Sorry. age. Did that affect you, firstly? Well, we'll deal, first of all, with the bullying. I, I like... <laughs> and what kind of advice would you have for yeah. someone that might be facing an issue with yeah. bullying? What, what happened to me was I couldn't read or write. Okay. And, like, when I say I couldn't read or write now, I mean, like, when I was 9, 10, 11, 12, I couldn't write my name. We'll say at home the bar, Healy Ray, Jackie Healy Ray was written over it. Yes. I, I never, it couldn't mean anything to me. And you see, what was very confusing about it was, it wasn't just, it was flipped over, right? It could have been Ray instead of being R-A, it could have been E-A-R, you know? And you could look at it again and it could be R-E, you know? It was just, it was a mess, like. And it was, my head was a mess. Challenging. Yes, yeah. it was very challenging. Okay. So I suppose how I made up for it was, my interest was work. You know, so instead of being academic, all I was interested in work. Any type of work, I was very happy at it. Manual work, you know, anything like that. I was just very happy to be doing something with my hands rather than my head because my head wasn't right. So how do I feel then about, we'll say, children today? Like number one, early diagnosis of everything. All the different prognoses and diagnoses that are there. Early intervention is very important. And like my problem was I wasn't just dyslexic, I was profoundly dyslexic. But it was a known sister Regina over in Killarney. She yeah. took me under her wing, she helped me, she got me going, which was great, and I was delighted. So that was fine, but yes, it's horrible to think of that a person would ha- have you know issues like that and that other people wouldn't be nice to them, you know? Like we don't obviously we don't name anybody, but like when I was going to school, I remember exactly who I was very close to at the time in okay. class and mm-hmm. that. 
And I'm in this now in the nicest possible way because remember, I'm putting myself that that's the category that I would have been in. Okay. The people I were friends with would have been people that would have been classified as a bit slow, right? right. But remember now when I'm saying that, I know. so yeah. was I, right? Yeah. Because I couldn't keep up with everybody else in the class. I couldn't know what was happening. So I, I would have been over here and they would have been there. So I, I found my own level in that even going down the town and walking around, the fellas I'd be walking around with would be what we'd all be classified as, oh, you know, they wouldn't be the brightest yeah. Yeah. in the class, like, do you know? And we weren't. But do you know, didn't we get angry and after? Okay. Yeah. Do you know? The moral of the story is like that if we're given half a chance, you will get on. But do you know, none of us have a monopoly on being smart, like. And, and, and if we are a smart person and if we're intelligent and if we're very quick and witty, that's great. But be nice to everybody else as well. Yeah. Don't know. Would you have a message for people that are be, that are not necessarily being bullied because of this um, dyslexia or any kind of challenge I would, like that? I would talk to people, right? Yeah. And, and do not tell people what's bothering you. Do you know what I mean? And tell people that, uh, do not that you're upset. And like highlight, do you know, if there is nasty, like we'll meet nasty people in life. Yes. And yeah. if they are like, and if somebody is being, what I won't say to you, like, call them out on it, like, you know, and stand up and say, like, this person is a bully, and say why they're a bully. Mm. Call them out in public. Call them out inside in the class. Yeah. And say this, you know, this person and point at them is treating me horribly. Why? What did I do wrong? Tell one thing, won't be long. Turn it around. You know. Yeah. So, oh yes, and sorry, I never answered about the parents. Yes, you see, nowadays today, like, people now today get divorced, separated, all that sort of thing. Like, in my day, they didn't, you know. It yeah. wasn't mm-hmm. really the done thing. And my parents did. And uh, I suppose one thing that was useful to me in that is that they sort of separated in a way but they were still friends and that they like they weren't bitter enemies or anything yeah. like that. So that was very helpful, you know. And um, But I suppose you were looked on a bit differently because of that, because it was sort of unusual. But you look, you could say they were different at the time and another way you could say weren't they ahead of their time, you know. Yeah. And equally, yes. both yeah. of yeah. them got on very good after the two were very happy, do you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes people can get on living together. Other times, they what get is. on living apart. You know? One thing that I'd say to a boy or a girl today is if they are friends with somebody, and when I say friends with somebody, I mean like a boyfriend, girlfriend, or a relationship, or husband yes. or wife or whatever. Like, yes, if we're getting on good, stay together, and that's grand, right? But if we're not, don't ever be afraid to say, you know, good luck there, amigo. I'm out the door, I'm out the gap, or you're out the door, and you're out the gap. And like, because again, life's too short. Yeah, yeah I agree. Okay. Okay, I think that's all the questions we have for yes. today. But thanks so much for joining us. We no really problem. appreciate you giving us your time. No thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to check back again for our next episode. In the meantime, if you wish to stay up to date with our podcast, you can check us out on social media from the third floor. Thank you. <laughs>